It's on it. All right. Is it about where you want it? Can you guys hear okay? Can you adjust this a little bit? All righty. Everybody have a Bible? We got more. We got some of people. Great, we can get you one. If you need one. Luke 16, we're going to get there in just a minute. I'm going to share with you in uh, in a few minutes 12 of the uh, Bible's values about money. And uh, and before we, we get to that, and we will look at Luke 16, 10, and 11 uh, momentarily. Everybody there? Okay, Luke 16, 10, and 11. I want to simply point out something that uh, some of you may know. The Bible has a lot to say about money. Of the 38 parables, 16 of them have to do with money or possessions. Jesus said more about money than heaven and hell combined. In the Gospels, 1 out of 10 verses, or 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. There are 500 verses on prayer Less than 500 on faith, but there are more than 2,000 on money and possessions. Anybody want to guess why? Why would God be addressing a subject as frequently? It's important, and, uh, and we don't do that well with it. So we need a lot of coaching. We need a lot of guidance. Luke 16, 10, and 11. Who would like to read this text aloud? Anybody? Okay, go right ahead. He who is faithful with what in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least and is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to trust the true riches? Yeah. Thank you. Okay, if you're faithful in little, what happens? You get more, right? And if you're unfaithful with little things, you, you don't get more. <laughs> okay, and what's, uh, what's unrighteous mammon? Anybody know what that's referring to? Maybe some of the newer versions use a different... Worldly wealth. Yeah, worldly wealth. It's actually talking about money. <clears throat> Jesus wants us to see a link between our hand handling of money, our management of money, and our ability or inability to be entrusted with kingdom riches. If we're not faithful in the management of the mammon of unrighteousness, who will entrust the true riches to us? 
What could those true riches be, possibly? Anybody have a, a thought? Sorry, I feel like I'm in an auction. You scratch your head. <laughs> like leadership in the church? Sure, sure. Any other? Anointing of the Spirit. Yeah, anointing of the Spirit. Any kind of kingdom gains. Yeah, kingdom gains. And basically things money can't buy. Things we, we want, things that we actually need to advance God's kingdom won't be entrusted to us if we don't manage our money in a way that pleases God. Have you ever seen that link before? That makes money really important. And I find that I pray about the management of my money as much as I pray about purity. And as you see this message developed, uh, I think you'll understand you'll understand more about why. There are a lot of pieces to the money puzzle. Frankly, money is is challenging. Would you agree? I'm going to share 12 of the Bible's values about money, or 12 pieces of the of the money puzzle. The puzzle. And we'll get this so that we can send it to them. Yeah, we'll it'll all be in a couple days. Yep. Yep. So you can take notes if you want to, but yep. if you don't want to, you don't have to. Right. Would you turn in your Bibles to Philippians 4? Some of you know Philippians 4.13. Anybody quote that verse by heart? Do all things through God who gives strength. Yes, you can, do, you can do all things through Christ who, who strengthens you. And I'm afraid a lot of the times when we... Memorize a verse like that. We don't take note of the context. You've probably heard the, the saying, a text without a context is a pretext. So it's very important to, to look at what the context is saying. And you, you might be surprised what is being discussed here uh, when Paul makes that statement in verse 13, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Would someone read aloud verses 11 through 13? Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to get along happily, whether I have much or little. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me strength. Thank you. Thank you. What what version are you reading from? That's interesting. New Living. New Living. Good. Like it. Anybody anybody have a version that's a little different just for fun? It's kind of fun, I think, to hear from different versions because the various translators seem to succeed at sharing the various shades of the original language, shades of meaning of the original language. What does another version say? Who's got a very different version? 11 and 12, right? Uh, yeah, 11. Actually, go ahead and read 13 with it. Not that I speak in regard to me, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be a beast, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, thanks. I've learned to be, in verse 11, content. The subject is the secret of contentment. Everybody in America is looking for contentment. 
we think we're going to find it in a career path, and, and not that there's anything inherently wrong with enjoying your career. We sometimes think we're going to find it in, a, in another person. If I just marry the right person, I'll, I'll achieve contentment. Or maybe if I finally get to a certain level of, of income and I can have the house of my dreams and the car of my dreams and, and have a, a healthy investment portfolio, then I can have contentment. What, what Paul is sharing with us under the influence of the Holy Spirit is that our contentment, our sense of gratification, security, wholeness, well-being need not be rooted in things out there. In other words, in things we can't control. You can work pretty hard and not achieve any of those goals. Would you agree with that? Yes. But he says a Christian doesn't have to live under the tyranny of circumstance. You, you know what I've learned over the years? I've learned that God's word is true, completely independent of what goes on in the world. And completely independent of what goes on in my immediate set of circumstances and completely independent of any contrary feelings I have. Any of you ever have contrary feelings? You know what I mean by contrary feelings? Feelings that make you think you don't even know God. If you live in my skin, most days you don't feel the presence of God. I haven't felt the presence of God in over 33 years. That may surprise you. Now you're looking at me like maybe I'm a little different. <laughs> a long time ago, in fact in 1975, the night I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit for me was not a celebration. It truly was a baptism in fire. When I came to know Jesus as my Savior months before, it was like the 4th of July. God's presence rested on me like a blanket. In fact, if I, if I woke up in the morning just a little bit discouraged, I'd hardly breathe the name of Jesus, and God's Spirit would rush on me. In mm -hmm. the night, I asked people to pray for me to be filled with the Spirit. I felt like I was being turned inside out. What I've learned over the years is that my feelings are fickle. Mm -hmm. My feelings will mislead me. But God's Word is truth. Now, there are times I sense the presence of the Lord. And you might say, well, what, how's that different from feeling His presence? Well, I don't even know if I can articulate it. But there are times I know someone has a prophetic word. I sometimes will know what that word is. I may receive a prophetic word for someone. Occasionally, I actually hear the Lord pretty well. And I know when He's functioning often in my church in a particular service. But in terms of feeling that elation that I felt, in those days, the words of Asaph in Psalm 73 were a true experience for me. Asaph said in Psalm 73, he said, Lord, whom do I have in heaven but you? And when I am with you, there's nothing I desire on earth. And then he added, and as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I only share that with you to let you know you can get up and read your Bible every day. 
even when you don't feel like it. You can speak the promises of God even when you feel like you're losing your sanity. You can declare the faithfulness of God when very painful things are happening in your life. And you don't need to rely on willpower to do it. Isn't that great news? Why? Because God is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You mean even if you don't feel Him, He's still at work in you? Yes. See, the presence of God is like an internal organ. In fact, it's a lot like your brain. Most of you haven't felt your brain, have you? That's good news. If you feel your brain, something's wrong. If you feel your liver, your kidneys, something's very wrong. Usually you feel your heart. Bad news. Bad news. Right? So you can function very well without feeling your, your organs, correct? And how do you know those organs are there and functioning? Well, there's symptoms. There's indications. We know from the Word of God that if we're a follower of Jesus, Christ is in us. And He will never leave us and never forsake us. So I'm here to tell you, you can experience contentment, you can experience gratification, you can experience a sense of security and well-being even when you do not feel the presence of God. And if you're a normal human being, you will have seasons of life when you're coasting along and things are going well, and it's easy to praise God. And you'll have other seasons of life when you don't feel those things. And it's challenging. And God would like to take each of you to a place where you can still fight the good fight and wage the good warfare, no matter what's going on out there, because He wants to show you the secret of contentment isn't out there. It's in here. And if you, if you truly experience this revelationally, in other words, what, what I would recommend that you do is say, Lord, I, I see this in Scripture. And now, because it's in Scripture, because I see it, I have a theology of that. I have a theology of contentment. But I'm not going to settle for a theology of contentment. I want an experience of contentment. One of my favorite texts is Isaiah 2.3. The last part of the verse says, God will teach us His ways so that we can walk in His paths. God doesn't want to just teach you His way so that your head gets filled with information. In fact, you know, knowledge puffs up, right? Love, love edifies. So every time you see something in Scripture, like what we're talking about at this moment, it's very important to put a stake in the ground right there and say, Lord, I want that. Lord, I need that. I have to have that. One of the most inspiring characters of the Bible, for my personal taste, is, is Jacob. For all of his problems, there's one thing he got right. He got actually several things right, but one thing blesses me. When he wrestled with the angel of the Lord, do you remember how long he wrestled with the angel of the Lord? Now, in high school, you wrestle six minutes, and that can spend you. In college, you wrestle eight minutes, and believe me, that taxes everything that you have, even when you're in incredible shape. Did you wrestle? I did. I came to know Jesus through wrestling. However, Jacob wrestled all night. And do you ever wonder why? Did he just think, let's do a long one? You know, let's go overtime. Let's let's really press the whole overtime concept here. 
He's wrestling with a supernatural being that he doesn't have a chance of beating. And I imagine Joseph gets a, or Jacob gets a single leg, or at least he wraps his arm in the robe of the angel of the Lord. And the angel says, let me go, because the day is breaking, and he had, he had to go. Let me go. And what did Joseph say? No way. No way. I'm not letting you go until what? You remember? Until you bless me. That's how we have to go after God. We have to go after God like that when we're not feeling God. When we get bad news. When we're tempted to panic. When we're tempted to believe that we have to live in panic and hysteria with most people in my generation because of the information they're getting from the news media. Do you know there isn't a recession in heaven right now? Do you know that God taught His people to pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Do you know that He says to His followers that He's going to supply everything you need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus? In fact, one of you had said earlier that you sensed that uh, this was actually before the meeting started at 8 o'clock, I think, in between 7 and 8, someone said, I have a sense that we need to pray tonight. I don't know if that was you uh, for for jobs. You're Matt, right? Yeah. We do. We need to look to the Lord to provide for us everything we need. So, some of the Bible's values... The first is, and I'm not going to take this much time on, on all of these 12 points, and we may not get to all 12, but the first is so important. Christ is the key to contentment. Christ is the key. What's the first commandment? That's the most important. But how is it phrased in, when it's listed in the Big Ten? You shall have no other gods except, except me. Do you know what idolatry is about? And in fact, the Bible says greed is idolatry. There are many forms of idolatry. But if you want to summarize what constitutes idolatry, idolatry has to do with looking for life and security in a source other than God. And when you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, in the context of these verses, understanding the context of these verses that we just read, you're saying, wow, he's it. He's, I don't need to look for life or security in a relationship. You know, I'm blessed by my wife of nearly 34 years. But one thing I can say about Laura, and she would say about me, because I know this, my wife Laura loves Jesus more than she loves Kevin McClure. And I'm so happy she does. But Laura would say, and I say, he's an avenue that God uses to bless me. But he's not the source of my blessing. Because if something happens to Kevin, God forbid, but something happens to Kevin, I still have Jesus. And I, I recognize that too. I don't want my wife to die a premature death. I hope we get to grow old together. But I don't have to live under the tyranny of things I can't control. Because Christ is the source of my contentment, my gratification, my fulfillment. And he's the source of yours, if you'll let him be. The second thing is 
and this is a, a biblical value relating to money and possessions, wanting to be rich is itself a toxic desire. Look at uh, 1 Timothy 6. We're going to read 6, 9, and 10. I think uh, if, if, we, if we survey Americans, we're going to find out almost 100% of Americans want to be rich. And when I talk to Christians, their talk doesn't sound any different to me. And I, I know that you would agree with this idea. We all need to be biblically informed people, do we not? Yes. But biblical information is not given, as I said a moment ago, just to, just to pack more stuff into our heads. God wants to give us biblical information that will lead to revelation. You're not going to get revelational understanding if you don't start with biblical information. You've got to be reading the Bible. You've got to be sitting under teaching. Biblical information is intended by God to lead to revelation, to lead to transformation. And transformation is a change of your character that God performs from the inside out, making you what your best efforts can't make you. You can try and try and try and try and fail and fail and fail and fail. God wants to do something for you that you can't do. And in saying that, I'm not saying effort isn't involved. Read your Bibles, that's effort. Come to communitas, that's effort. And in the meantime, be saying, God, I need some of that revelation. I've got to have the revelation that leads to transformation. Because I, I want to be impacted by what the Bible says. I want it to change me. 1 Timothy 6, what's it say? 9 and 10. Who wants to read it? But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Yeah. Thank you. So what happens to people who want to be rich? They become obsessed with Yeah, they become obsessed. What's that? Becomes their idol. Yeah, becomes their idol, and they fall into temptation. Now let's understand, being rich is not sinful. Money is not evil. Right? What's evil here? The love. The love, the love of money. And, and do you know that Abraham was rich? The Bible says God made Abraham rich in silver and gold and livestock. And his sons, Jacob and, and, and Isaac, or his, one of them is his grandson. But do you understand that the, the Bible says God granted them wealth? And in Deuteronomy 8, uh, God says, I'm going to give to the Israelites power to gain wealth. So wealth itself is, is not evil. But that desire to be rich is driven by a belief that that condition or situation is essential to your life and security, which makes it idolatrous. So be very careful of such a toxic belief. A lot of, a lot of people fantasize about winning the lottery. And wouldn't it be wonderful if you won the lottery? Nothing wrong with that. You know, I remember uh, 
Uh, a Christian man a couple of years ago won a $170 million in the lottery and he was going to tithe. He, he had been spending time at two churches and he was going to divvy up the tithe between two churches. And uh, that's a whole heap of money. $17 million divided two ways. And I heard some famous Christians on the radio say, no way I would receive that money in my church. That's, that's filthy money. And I was saying, well... I take it. <laughs> I take it. And I'll tell you why. Because God says he, he lays up the wealth of non-believers for his people. And all, all money can be sanctified. But be careful. Be careful of an inappropriate desire for riches. And understand that that, that that desire is driven by a belief, as most desires are. Driven by that belief that I've got to have these circumstances in order to find fulfillment. And one of the things Jesus wants to free us from is the tyranny of living under things we cannot control. You know, when, when you don't worry about how other people respond to you, you know, you do your best to treat them well and, and have respect for them, and you hope you get it in return, but sometimes you don't, and you know that you really don't need their approval in order to be confident and in order to be secure, that's freedom. Wow. Some of you are going are gonna to marry... And you're going to have wonderful in-laws. Paul probably hit the jackpot. I've never heard of people nicer, honestly. I'm not kidding. Nicer than the Ludios. I mean, Paul has shared with me about them. And uh, and not everyone is as fortunate. And you can't... You can pick your spouse. You can't pick your in-laws. <laughs> and I would hope you'll do your best to love them up. But what if they don't love you back? Are you going to let your confidence rest on how you're treated? You don't have to. Okay, so those are two of the values. Christ is the key to contentment, and wanting to be rich is a toxic desire. Here's a third value. Poverty is not a virtue. And wealth is not a sin. Most of the people I know of who take a vow of poverty... I grew up Catholic, and there were certain monastic orders that would take a vow of poverty. And uh, God bless them. I know what they meant when they said that, but they weren't signing up for poverty, and they weren't experiencing poverty. Okay, They got to live in a place with heat in the winter and air conditioning in the summer. They had clean clothes, a warm bed, and plenty of food. There's a whole pile of people in the world would trade places. Poverty is so brutal. Let me tell you, God never intended anybody to live in poverty. So let's not exalt poverty as if it's some kind of virtue. If you become familiar with the Bible, you'll see that God likes to get people out of poverty. Okay, here's a fourth value. You're a manager. You're not an owner. You don't own anything. And if you don't know that, well, may the Lord inform you through His Word. I put that pretty kindly, didn't I? 
Kevin, could yes, we go back to that one on yeah. the poverty? Yeah. I just want to ask a question. Is there anyone here that has felt that God is calling you to help somehow to eradicate poverty among the poor? Anybody feel that calling? Is one here? Anybody else? Raise your hand. Put them up high for a moment if you feel that calling. I'd like to just pray for them because that's a wonderful calling. Anybody out there? Got that? Okay. If you got, raise your hand. Let's put your put your hand on them, and somebody pray for them that the Lord will really bless them in that assignment. Yes. Lord, I just pray for these people. They want to help the poor. And um, I think a lot of times there's a pressure to be, to have a lot of money themselves before they can do that. And um, I just pray that they can tap into that your death on the cross is enough. And we don't have to have any other condition to, to feel okay. If you did nothing else but die on the cross, that would be enough. And I just pray that on these people. So true. Thank you for what you prayed. You know, and as you were praying, I was thinking of this text in Romans uh, 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, will he not also with him freely give us all things? And God wants to give us resources to help the impoverished. And I also want to just tag team on what Paul said about poverty. Maybe some of you are under the influence of a spirit of poverty. Mm. You live in America. You've got all of the basics, but you have this mindset that you'll never be able to achieve a reasonably positive standard of living. And maybe maybe in your family history you have all kinds of homelessness or people being fired from one job after another or layoffs and it was always one of those situations where there just was never enough. And God wants to lift that off of you. Anybody living under that? Okay, just lift your hand if you're living under that. Let's pray against that, because that's not from God, okay? Uh, I would invite you to pray with me. Would you, maybe, whoever wants to pray this prayer, just just say, um, I thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are the source of my contentment. And I also thank you that there are certain circumstances you want me to experience. You do want me to have a happy marriage. You do want me to have a fulfilling vocation. And you want me to have a reasonably prosperous life. Help me not to settle for less. I renounce the spirit of poverty. I renounce the curse of poverty. In the name of Jesus. I repudiate it. I revoke it. I restrain it. 
I restrain it. And I bind it. And I bind it. And I cast it off. And I loose holy prosperity. And I loose deliverance and freedom. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, and the thing I would ask you to do is keep praying about these things. Lord, help me to make sense of these things. Because as with so many things, you, you won't really find a template. You'll find a lot of information. And uh, during certain seasons of your life, God will be speaking to you about the warnings, for example, in Scripture re related to greed. And at other times, He'll be calling you to focus on all the promises about God meeting your needs. So there, there will be at different times, this this sense that you are off balance. You'll have a sense of tension, and we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. And uh, and I hope you get used to it, because it's really not a bad way to live. It keeps you from getting cocky. And, and let me tell you something. Pride is dark, and it is the nastiest sin you will ever succumb to. It'll get you before any of the other sins that we spend most of our time worrying about. Because it's pride that causes us to think we have the right to indulge in some forbidden fruit and counterfeit comfort. Well, the Bible says pride goes before the fall. Okay. Poverty is not a virtue. That's the third Bible value, nor is wealth a sin. And four, you are a manager, not an owner. The Bible says in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything it contains. Uh, Psalm 50, verse 10, the cattle on a thousand hills, it all, all belongs to God. Haggai 2, 8, uh, all silver, all gold, everything. Think of the, the wealthiest people in America, Bill Gates, uh, Warren Buffett, billionaires. I mean, when I was a kid, I never heard anybody referred to as a billionaire, did you? I mean, that's just hard to imagine. That's a thousand million dollars. Isn't that right? A thousand million? That's a whole heap of money. God owns it all. It's, it's just happening to be under the management of some other people, and they don't always realize that he's the owner. But I want you to know... And I don't mean this in an oppressive sort of way, but just think about this. If you get a tax return back, whose money is it? Warren Buffett's. <laughs> Warren Buffett's. <laughs> <laughs> whose money is it? It's God's, right? You get paid from the job that you, you go to on a daily basis. Whose money is that? God's. That's God's. You know, and then there are people who say, you know, well, I tithe, and that means, you know, I give the 10% to my church, and I, God, you know, I can do whatever I want with the 90%. And so whether you tithe or you don't tithe, whatever doesn't go to giving, it's still all God's. Is it not? And so I, I believe that the concept of discretionary money is really a myth. There's no such thing as discretionary money if it all belongs to God. And there only is discretionary money when he shows you there's discretionary money. And you can discern that with, with others. Because God wants you to have some money to go to St. Arbucks or Caribou or wherever you go. Okay. All right, here's another value, the fifth value. The fifth value is God is generous. God is generous. Be more like him. 
<laughs> James 1.5. Anybody want to read that? James 1.5. <coughs> tells you what to do if you need wisdom. Tells you tells you go to God and it's it's implied when it says when you need wisdom ask God it's implied that you go because he's the source of, of wisdom he's the source of understanding so if you need if you need more aptitude for learning you know psychologists tell us you can't increase your IQ that's not a biblical concept if you read Proverbs 8, you can increase intelligence. You can increase in wisdom and understanding. So if you're struggling with something at school, certainly get a tutor. Nothing wrong with that. But pray for wisdom. And then, of course, study. Right? So you go to God when you need wisdom. Why? Why should you go to God when you need wisdom? Aside from the fact that He's the source. What's verse 5 say, James 1? But if any of you lack wisdom, you should pray to God who will give it to you, because God gives generously and graciously to all. Yeah. Why should you ask Him for wisdom? Because first, He's got it. But also because He's generous. One version says He he gives generously and unbegrudgingly. What does that mean? He's not tight-fisted. He's not reluctant to give. He loves to give. He's generous. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.1, be, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Jesus says when a disciple is fully trained, he's going to look like who? Jesus. So that that's the primary reason we need to learn to give. And, and doing the right things, even when you don't feel the right things, it still has the same benefit. Funny thing, I get on a Nordic track four, four days a week. Now, I can't say there's a single morning that I get on that thing that I really feel inspired to get on it. <laughs> not, not, I, I can't think of a time. But a funny thing happens. I derive the same cardio benefit as the person who's inspired to get on it. Isn't that amazing? It's remarkable. If you go to work understanding that according to Colossians 3.23, whatever you do in word or do, deed, you're, all, you're to do it all heartily as unto the Lord and not as unto people. You give 100%, even though you've got a crabby boss you can't seem to please. Is there still going to be a benefit in doing that? Oh, yeah. 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 Do you know why? It's just, well, God, God, God is just cool. He just likes to bless your efforts. He says He will bless the putting forth of your hand. Right? So He doesn't bless your laziness. He blesses your, your efforts. Correct? God is generous. Be more like Him. So why do we give? We're going to look at three questions related to this. Why do we give? To whom do we give? How much do we give? Why do we give? Best reason I can think of is because it pleases God. And Paul says we always aim to please the Lord. When you love people, you like to please them. I love to, I love to please my kids. I love to please my wife. I like to do things for them. I like to practice their love language. I like to, to see that their emotional fuel tank is full if I, if I can. Why do we give? 
ultimately to please God and because he's blessed us in so many ways and if you struggle with this if you're if you're stingy I would I would encourage you to fight that resist that people who are stingy look at their budget if if they've made one and they'll see what's left over and if there's a little something left over they might give it now I was pastoring a church in North Dakota years ago their complete uh, income for the year that I came, the, pr- the, the previous year, was $23,000. $23,000, okay. And uh, and my wife and I felt called to go there, and we knew we, we couldn't make it on $23,000 if the family of six. But we went. And I looked at their their giving practices, and their benevolence on the, on the uh, budget was whatever else was left over. And uh, after I'd been there a little while, I, I said, could we try something differently? I said, I'd like to flip this around. What would happen if we took 10% off of the top? Now, this isn't commanded in the Bible, but I thought it was a good idea. So what if we took 10% of all of the general fund giving off of the top and prayed about who to give it to and just started giving it away? Because we need money, right? It's the point you brought up before, Kate. Right? When a farmer needs a crop, what does he do with his seed? He sows it. Okay, that means he's going to have less seed, right? But if he if he doesn't sow it, it's not going to do him any good. Is he taking a risk by sowing it? Yeah? Sure. I've lived and pastored in rural areas a lot. I know what these farmers go through. But there's no chance they're going to get a crop if they don't sow their seed. So I said, would you guys be willing to try this for a year? And I said, during this year, what I'd like to suggest to you is that we we stop doing merchandising fundraisers. No more selling T-shirts, candy bars, saving pop cans and recycling them. I said, it's all okay. Nothing wrong with any of it. But we are serving the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, about whom it says it all belongs to Him. All silver, all gold, the cattle on a thousand hills. Would you be willing to try this? He said... It's a little scary, but sure. Sure. And i got to tell you that miracles began to happen in a relatively short period of time. In about, in about three years, the giving went from $73,000 to about 76, or excuse me, from $23,000 a year to about $76,000 a year. And it kept going up. I said, where's all this money coming from? Where are these people coming from? What would God do if you put your giving at the top? Who should you give to? You know, you ever eat at McDonald's and go over to Burger King and pay the bill? <laughs> no, you you pay you pay the place that feeds you, don't you? I hope you do that. Please, Paul, you got to tell them. Pay the place. Pay the place that feeds you. Are you getting? Now, Paul didn't tell me to say this. I'm feeling inspired by the Holy Spirit to say this. You can test whether it's of the Spirit. I hope you test everything. Do you get fed at Communitas? It might be the ministry where the bulk of your giving ought to go. I just think it's so it's it's so interesting to me as a pastor. I've watched people's giving habits for years. You know, they'll get a, a big inheritance and they'll give a wad of money to some famous radio preacher. 
that they'll never meet, and who if, if they have a need at 3 o'clock in the morning, he, he won't be available. And I'm not saying there's anything against these radio, TV people. I mean, some of them are okay and some aren't so okay. <laughs> but, but that's not my main point. Let's say, let's say they give the money to somebody with a really solid ministry. Nothing wrong with that if they're led by the Spirit. But what ministry meets your needs? What would happen if for at least the next six months you started coming here with a percentage of what you earn and just saying, I want to give this to the kingdom? Well, they, they, want, they might wind up with a, with a lot of money. Well, wow. God could do cool things with a lot of money, couldn't he? Okay. And, of course, there are individuals we, we should be giving to and ministries, uh, Lutheran Renewal, uh, the Master's Institute, uh, ARC, Missions Projects, right? Individuals in need. You see people who are struggling to make ends meet, maybe buy them a gas card at Holiday or a gift certificate at uh, Aldi's. If you haven't discovered Aldi's grocery store, uh, you're missing out. Now, I've been around a few years. I can tell you. I can tell you, it's like going back in time 30 years. I said, what What did you say my total is? It's $87. $87. If I were at Target or Byerly's, it would have been 210 It's wild. Absolutely wild. All right, but I digress. How much do you give? How much do you give? Paul wrote a great article about... Tithing, not tithing, you know, that, that's a debate. And, and I've, I've come to the place in my walk with the Lord where I, I, I tithe to my church, which means 10%, by the way. That's a biblical word. Some people say, you know, uh, well, I tithe 5%. It's kind of like having a quartet of three. You know, the word tithe actually means 10%. And I, I don't believe tithing is incumbent on the, on the believer. I, I, I don't think there's any rule. Uh, that indicates you, you have to do that. But for me, I like it not being random. You know, if it's if, if it's left to me, to my own discretion, I might tend to be a little bit on the cheap side. And, and tithing stretches me a little bit. Okay, but I think of tithing as the floor, not the ceiling of my giving. I... I am looking for the day. I'm, I'm fantasizing about this. And I'm going to be prepaying off all of my debt. And I'm going to be calculating. My wife and I together uh, will be discerning this. What what do we believe is the lifestyle God wants us to, to live? A fair and reasonable lifestyle that includes vacations and cars and clothes and food and stuff like that. After which we distribute 100%. Wouldn't that be fun? Think about the day in your life when you not only get your own mortgage paid off, you know a family that's struggling to make ends meet, and you find out where their mortgage is, and you go over there and pay that thing off. Huh? Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. Think about ministries that you could, you could just write a check to. You know, the Master's Institute needs help, and this is a godly training center. Not a single amen. Well, I hope you find out for yourself. It's a godly training center. <laughs> okay, so pray about where you should give and how you should give and to whom you should give. And, you know, there are times when you just stop giving to some people because you're not seeing them use the resources you're sharing in a, in a good way. Enough on that. 
That's the fifth kingdom value about money. And the sixth, live within your means. Live within your means. When we don't live within your mean, with our within our means, generally speaking, I don't say this is always the case because sometimes people fall upon hard times and they're forced to use credit more than they want to. But for the rest of us, not living within our means is generally driven by an entitlement mentality. McDonald's tells us you deserve a break today. You know, I I, I know of guys who really can't afford to spend $450 on a hunting rifle and a scope. But, bless God, I work hard for a living, and I deserve some fun. Well, you know, I, I don't think God's against fun. He's all for fun. But he doesn't want you to get into debt to have some fun. And what if you left the fun up to him? What if you said, Lord, you know, I'd like, I'd like a rifle with a scope. Said, oh, come on now. But you guys ever hear the story of uh, Pastor Young E. Cho, pastor of the largest church? It's a million active members in his church in Seoul, Korea. A million. Okay? And uh, anyway, when he, when he grew up, he grew up in abject poverty. And he was young, and his church was growing, and he said, Lord, I am very frustrated with you. Now, if you're Asian here tonight, I don't mean any offense. Uh, let me tell you, I heard Cho say this myself with my own two ears. Here in, he was in the Twin Cities years ago. He said, Lo, I'm so frustrated. You say ask. I ask for a chair. I ask. He wanted a chair, a bicycle, and a desk. That's what he was asking for. I ask for a chair. I ask for a bicycle. I ask for a desk. You don't give me a chair. You don't give me a bicycle. I have no desk. Where are your promise? And he said, the Lord said to him, What kind of chair? What kind of bicycle? What kind of desk? Now I know this. When my wife Laura wants a sweater for Christmas, she said, Kevin, get me a sweater. Kevin, the blue sweater. Here's the size. Here's the pattern. Uh, never mind, I'll go get it myself. When I was a kid at Christmas time, you know, I wanted a Tonka Troy, a toy, a, a Tonka toy truck, excuse me. And I would get as specific as I could. God wants us to be specific. What what could you what would you need or what do you want? You know, God's not afraid to have you ask for your wants. And let me tell you, if he says no to a want, I'll tell you why. Because you're not ready for it. Huh? I remember I remember a little boy, about six years old, wanting his daddy to give him a chainsaw. <laughs> Dad said, you know, son, you're, you're, you're pretty special in that chainsaw. Chainsaw's pretty special, too, but the combination isn't just right. Not yet. <laughs> you see, you need to understand that a delay is not always a denial. Go ahead and ask for what you want. Ask for the gun with the scope. You know, Laura and I were uh, going to go on a getaway a few years ago, and... Uh, our money that we had set aside for the trip, some of it was stolen, and uh, and then some of it went to some emergencies that came up, and it was gone. We just didn't have anything for our little trip. 
My my older sister, Pat, who is old enough to be my mom, she actually of her seven kids, she has two kids older than me, had a little vacation home in Galena, Illinois. Okay? So we were going to be living the life in Galena, Illinois. <laughs> actually, we, we don't care where we go. We like being together. So we, were, so we didn't have any lodging costs, and we had some food costs, and we were going to eat out as much as we could and, and watch a bunch of movies and make out a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't intend to say that. But. I don't see my kids here, and if they're here, I'm going to hear about it later. What are you thinking, Dad? Uh, and so this is what I did. I said, you know, Lord, um, I would like a thousand bucks for this trip. I don't need a thousand bucks. This trip, you know, I could, I could really have an okay time with 600 bucks, but I would like a thousand bucks to go out and splurge and get the fattest steak I want to get, you know, and not even be thinking about money, and, and that's entirely up to you, and, I, and I'm not going to grumble and complain if it doesn't come in, but just a thought, just thinking out loud with you, Father, and uh, probably three days later, I hear from a couple, uh, I actually officiated at their wedding many years ago, uh, they were in my youth ministry, and they've been prospered. And they said, you were on our heart. We felt led to give you some money. And it was a check for $1,000. <laughs> Guess what I felt permission to do? <laughs> go on that vacation with $1,000 and use it. So go ahead and ask him. So live. Live within your means. Avoid the entitlement trap. And seventh, avoid the use of credit when you can and learn to prepay debt. I'll send you some notes about some ideas how you can prepay debt. Uh, credit by itself, borrowing money and repaying it with interest, is not actually prohibited in the Bible, but it is warned against. Uh, it's, it says the borrower is the lender's slave. And so you want to be very careful about any money you borrow, especially for things that are not likely to appreciate. You know, a, a home is, even in this economy, still a pretty good bet if you're going to live in it for, you know, a while. And so I would say be very careful about accumulating any more debt that you have. And as I said, I'll send Paul the notes on prepaying debt. And if you haven't taken Dave Ramsey's course, uh, Financial Peace University, he's got a great plan. I borrow from Dave Ramsey and John Camuta and their ideas, so I want to give them some credit. All right. So eight. We've already talked a little bit about this. Work hard. Working hard is a biblical value. Colossians 3.23. We quoted it already. Whatever you do. If you're mowing the lawn, you're working here at the ranch, even if it's not a paid position, if it's babysitting for a friend, whatever you do, do it all heartily as unto the Lord and not as unto men. I went into a, a hardware store in Roseville about four or five years ago, and there's somebody behind the counter, and I always like to say, hey, how's it going? How's your day going? And this person said, well, it'll be going a lot better in 45 minutes when I get out of here. <laughs> and I, uh, I thought, uh, oh, I wouldn't want you working for me. It's all about the paycheck. And it's it's gotten so commonly accepted. But I hope you, you if you've given yourself permission to do that, repent of that. Work as unto the Lord. 
He's the one that's going to meet your needs anyway. And when you're at work, you have the opportunity to touch people. You have the opportunity to be a kiss from Jesus to people. That's one of the reasons why you're there. Why do I have to work with these sluggards and losers? Well, sluggards and losers need Jesus, like the rest of us. Work hard. Give it everything you have. The next thing, know that God is your provider. He's the one who wants to meet your needs. He wants you to put your trust in Him, not in an investment portfolio. There are a whole lot of people in my generation understanding now that there is no investment that is secure in this world. Lots of, lots of people have lost a lifetime's worth of savings and investments. And you need to know it is God who is your source of security and not how much you have in the bank. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with, with saving and investing. All of that's good. But be careful that you don't put your trust in your stuff. Because you know why? All that stuff that some people have in investments, what they need to understand is it's all God's. If God calls you to liquidate that and distribute it, I hope you'd be willing to do that. My prayer is, Lord, I pray that I'll be a person who can be entrusted with wealth. I'm not looking for wealth. I don't care if I have it, but I, I pray that I'll be able to be trusted with wealth. That means if God gives me $30 million and then he says, write $15 million out to your fiercest enemy. And I want you to flush the other 15000 down the drain. I'll say, you got it. Why? Because life isn't in money. We believe it is, which means we're believing something that isn't true. And when you believe something that isn't true, it always feels like the truth. And that's why we've got to be careful to examine what we believe. That's why the Bible talks about tearing down strongholds. Strongholds are, are demonically erected power bases that are created in your mind one lie at a time. Be careful what you believe. Examine your beliefs. Know that God is your provider. Know that if you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, everything you need will be added unto you. Also save. Learn to save money. Save a little bit. I always told my kids, this is my philosophy about money management. It's pretty uncomplicated. Give some, save some, spend some. That's it. Give some, save some, spend some. Always save some. You know why? Today I wrote out a check for about, I think it was $1,034 to have my nine-year-old car repaired. And I really feel like this nine-year-old car is worth the investment. Because I, I think because of its riot reliability record, it's going to have a longer life. But you know what? As much as I didn't want to write that check out, I was so glad I didn't have to put that on a credit card. I've been socking away a little bit here and a little bit there, and it really is distasteful as it can be to write out a check for a car repair. It sure is a blessing to have the money to do it. So start saving. If you're not already, be a diligent saver. If it doesn't come naturally, hallelujah, there's hope for you because the Christian life isn't about what comes naturally. It's about what can come to you supernaturally. Right? Okay, and then the last thing. Uh, actually, two, two things, and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this up. Since you are disciples, a disciple ongoingly surrenders all. 
right? If anyone would come after me, said Jesus, that person must deny himself how often? Daily. And take up his cross and follow me. That means Jesus before self. And then further on, that's that's Luke 9.23. Luke 14.26, he says, Anybody is my disciple, that person must prefer me above father, mother, brother, sister, spouse. In other words, putting Jesus before other relationships. And the last thing he says is, anyone who would be my disciple must surrender everything he has. So Jesus comes before self, others, and, and stuff, right? So it's a constant ongoing surrendering. And then finally, I'm going to ask you to maintain the tension between the promises and the warnings. The more familiar you are with the Bible, you're going to see there's all kinds of promises about money. It is a blessing of the Lord that makes a person rich, and, and sorrow adds nothing to it. And a legitimate variant translation of that says, and labor adds nothing to it. Hmm. Prosperity is the reward of the righteous. doesn't say it's the goal of the righteous. It says it's the reward of the righteous. Okay? There's all kinds of, of promises of God, both Old Testament and New, where God says he's going to make provision for you. But there's a lot of warnings. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your lives free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he has said what you have. He has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So what is it you have? You have him, right? Let's pray. Father, here we are tonight. We want to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Would you help us tonight to understand what you want us to understand? Would you help us to respond the way you want us to respond? Would you lift off of us all of the misbeliefs that we've embraced and entertained? Would you help us to find greater freedom? And would you help us to be people who can be trusted? Would you help us to be people who will do well, so well that you, that you will say, I'm ready to entrust to you the true riches. I'm ready to give you kingdom resources because you've proven yourselves faithful with the mammon of unrighteousness. So, Father, here we are tonight. Help us. Maybe you feel led to pray. Just feel free to cry out. God, I, I just want to ask for anyone who, who is stuck in a place of, of debt um, from from bad decisions of the past or, or whatever, God. And, and I just ask that you As we pray for that, I want, I want people to raise your hand. If you are living with non-appreciable debt that weighs upon you and you want help, wisdom to deal with that, you keep praying, raise your hand if that's, if that's your situation. Non-appreciable debt and you, uh, you want the Lord to help you. Okay, keep praying there. God, I just ask that you would just uh, guide each each of them and, and us into into wisdom and how to how to be completely financially free and mm -hmm. under your care, God, trusting you with every cent that we have and exactly where to place it and what to do with it. God, I just ask that you would just open up our ears and our and our hearts to to hear where it is that you want to spend those five, us to spend those five dollars. God, I just ask that you would just um, that you would bring that freedom, that you would bring just that weight that is just so hard on these people's heavy on these people's lives, God, and that that just being free that they would be able to see that they can move around like so much lighter and so much easier. And um, God, I just thank you for that. Just um, and I yeah, I just praise you for the freedom that you're gonna bring in in each and every one of these people's lives here, God, that that they were just, yeah, to be able to, to live and, and to display something so different in this culture, so different in this, in in our country that, that 
that seems to just have this draw and this pull toward money and being financially secure and that that's the aim and that's the goal. God, we we want to renounce that in this place. That this has no hold over, over us, God. That our aim is to please you and not to be just financially set or whatever. The, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but that, but that you, you would be the goal, that you would be, uh, you would teach us your ways and how to live in your kingdom here in this country and be models to those around us and that our security is set even when our economy isn't, God, and I just thank you for that, Jesus. Yes. Thank you, yes, Lord. Lord. Yes, Lord. <coughs> what do you appreciate about Kevin, his teaching? What? <laughs> what do you appreciate about oh. Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> what? What is Okay. Understanding. I really appreciate uh, just realness and rawness, not trying to be anything but just practical and relevant. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's some experience behind it. Yeah. Biblical. And it's so easy to apply, too, especially right now when the whole world's freaking out about money. You need to be reminded not to freak out. I like your boots. Shoes. Shoes. Don't they look like boots? Don't they look like boots? Covering my shoes? Cool boots. Stop talking about covering. 